Welcome to the Healthcare Leadership Podcast, presented by Referral MD, your go-to resource for increasing practice efficiency and revenue. Each episode, we share tips, tricks, trends, and real stories from physicians and healthcare leaders, so you can hear what really works to grow and manage your practice. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show, Healthcare Leadership Podcast. We're excited to have you back. I am John, your host. As always, I am joined by Jen. Hey, John, how are you today? You know, I'm doing pretty good. We've got a lot of rain out here. I'm based out just outside of San Francisco. So we're getting an unusual amount of rain and everyone's panicking because if you get an 18th of an inch um, out here, it's like, you know, shutting down the schools. Well, John, we're getting our um, our first cold front in Florida this weekend, and the high tomorrow is 72, so we're pulling out our winter attire, so we're on the Good, same yeah. Get the yeah. galoshes. Yeah, the yes. galoshes. Yeah, call in National Guard. Um, you want to make sure that you're prepared for that. Well, I'm excited for today's episode, you know, because as we were talking before we started to hit record, I didn't immediately see how these two things can go together. Um, and it's been great with our guest because he was able to break it down. And now I see like it goes together like peas and carrots. That's my Forrest Gump first nation. You, <laughs> I think that's that? great. Is that good? I okay. It's, good. it's right on. Let's get right to the guest before he regrets agreeing to join us. So today we are happy to be joined with Dr. Michael Grywe. Uh, he's a practicing orthopedic surgeon with OrthoCincy uh, near Cincinnati, Ohio, and the founder of OrthoLive, which is a telemedicine platform. Uh, the platform was developed several years ago because there was really nothing that specifically met the needs of orthopedic providers. Um, so joining us today, Dr. Grywe, thanks for joining. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Jen. Glad Absolutely. Glad to have you. Yeah, I, again, I, I think I look at these two things, and I didn't think orthopedic surgery and telemedicine going together, but I love it now. So, do you want to give us a little bit of background on OrthoLive and, and tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, OrthoLive was founded in 2015. Um, it was really out of a need to see patients in my own office, and I was trying to be able to help patients that were traveling really far away to be able to see me without too much of a burden. Um, I'd operated on some people and they'd travel three or four hours to see me. And I thought there's gotta be a better way. And I hear about this thing called telemedicine. And it seemed like a really good idea at the time to try to you know connect with these people. And all the platforms I used were just like really, really crummy. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I gotta do something better. There has to be some better way of making this um, work for patients and providers. Um, I could see like providers just going nuts if they were having to wait for 15 minutes to get connected. And anyway, so that's where OrthoLive was born out of us, just trying to do a better job of taking care of patients via telemedicine. That's amazing. And I think we're hypersensitive now with, you know, the COVID remote environment and telemedicine is, is all the rave, but you're definitely on the bleeding edge of that. Because even if you think about three or four years ago, kind of feels like it was a bit novel. Right. And, oh, and people were yeah. still like afraid to adopt it. And, and how would that look like? So how would you say, you know, telemedicine has affected medicine, especially over these last couple of years or maybe over the last four or five years? And where do you see it going if you kind of look in the crystal ball five, 10 years from now? Well, it's, it's been incredible uh, to watch what's happened over the past five years to six years with telemedicine. Honestly, things were doubling um, in terms of telemedicine usage from 2014 on. Um, wow. to where we were really seeing about, you know, 3 million, um, you know, telemedicine usages in about 2017. And then 2018, we had 6 million. And then, you know, 2019 was 12. And then we hit, you know, 2020, and it went up to 50 million. 
<laughs> so, oh, wow. And that was the pandemic, you know, and, and it just was incredible. And now we're going to probably hit 180 million telehealth visits in 2021. So it's, uh, it's been incredible. There was like a tenfold increase due to the pandemic. And, um, but it was sort of seeing some increase in usage. It just, uh, it wasn't mainstream yet. And, um, you know, we were a little ahead of the curve with OrthoLive, but it was kind of the right, right place to be. But you know what's neat about telemedicine is it, it allows us to take care of patients wherever they may be and with the appropriate type of providers. And I think that's really, to me, like the most important thing about telemedicine is it gives access to some of the you know, experts in the country when experts are needed. And also for minor things, we don't have to wait for four or five hours to get maybe you know, antibiotic for the, you know, a, a, you know, sinus infection or something like that. We can get on, get our, you know, antibiotic that we need and, you know, get it taken care of within a few minutes. So I think to me, where, where is telemedicine going? It's going to um, continue to improve access. It's going to continue to drive, um, you know, volume uh, for the providers that are actually utilizing it. And I think people are going to see that telemedicine really is the new way that patients get into the healthcare system. And so, uh, I feel like that's kind of, um, you know, typical marketing and the way that we do things now with our practices is going to go by the wayside. We're going to have people trying to get into telemedicine appointments, and that's how they're going to enter the system, and they're going to go off from there. Mike, would you say, or Dr. Gray, would you say, I mean, I think it was Seema Verna last year, the administrator of CMS, like the quote that's out there is when she's referring to telemedicine, she's like, the genie is out of the bottle. Like at this point, so many providers adopted telemedicine as a platform to get through when elective surgeries were canceled or they couldn't see patients. But now patients, I mean, the demand is there and we're seeing it, we're seeing it as a way to reduce cost, as to get greater access to patient care, and as um as a way even to like trickle into other industries at the, this point now. Um, would you agree with that statement? Yeah, 100 percent I think providers that don't utilize telemedicine are gonna be left behind. And I think patients are looking for easy, quick ways to be able to get in to see someone. And if you're not offering uh, telemedicine, I think, you know, uh, as a provider, you, you may be left behind. And um, she's absolutely right. I think the laws are changing to try to support telemedicine. Patients now see it as a great way of getting in to see their doctor quickly. And providers need to adapt. Are the providers yeah, think- at your practice, are, are you getting pushback from the or- other orthos? I mean, you're still doing telemedicine, but are the other guys doing it? Not all. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you you see people who really resist technology mm-hmm. and they just don't really like feel like it's that critical for them to, to change because, you know, this is the way their patient, their patients have come in to see them be a word of mouth for a number of years. And that's kind of the way they've existed with their practices. But the thing is, like, I'm watching this whole, like, evolution happen, and I'm seeing patients go to virtual health providers because it's easier, it's faster, and they can get their answers um, easier than going to see their regular doctor. And, uh, you know, honestly, we're losing patients, and we can't stick our heads in the sand um, because there are, you know, great virtual care platforms that that are taking care of these patients. And so when you look at getting this implemented to practices, right, I, I know just from working with practices, implementation can be a barrier, right, or just change management. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about any implementation or challenges or learning curves that either frontline staff or administrators have taken on? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the hardest thing, um, John, is honestly like seeing physicians resist change is 
is probably the biggest thing that we deal with. I mean, you know, it's uh, like that book, who moved my cheese. Um, but basically it's like, if you change anything, particularly for a doctor, it's, it's really disruptive to the daily schedule. And, uh, we really don't like changes because it really means a loss in productivity and efficiency. And so that has to be kind of endured a little bit at the very beginning when you're trying to adapt to telemedicine. And so we, we were encouraging um, physicians to become kind of like leaders within their institutions, the people that believed in it. We would say, you know, be a leader inside your institution, help other people to see the, the benefits and the potential efficiencies downstream and how, you know, this can really affect their practices in a positive way. And that was really helpful. So we, we kind of would put these physician champions in charge and we'd say, look, you know, you, you're going to get some pushback, but if you believe this and, and you know, uh, then, then you go ahead and push it within your practice and it, it's helpful. So that was kind of one of the biggest hurdles that we had to overcome was sort of the physician resistance, uh, which is always going to be there, particularly from some of the older guard, um, you sure. know, but, but the, um, the people that really see the vision can understand where it's going and they don't want to be left behind. So they're going to carry it through. Well, a lot of times you know, that change management can be affected by opportunities. So, you know, you've implemented this, you know, in thousands of practices. Uh, what does the data tell you in terms of actually increased revenue or increased opportunity? Well, like when a practice does implement a solution like that? Yeah, it's amazing, actually. Um, there are surgeons, uh, you know, that I, we've worked with that have seen, you know, an increase in revenue, practice revenue of uh, over $150,000 um, wow. from one year of not using telemedicine to the next year of using telemedicine. So, the data is pretty overwhelming that um, it can drive new patient visits. And really, what, what are you trying to do in a surgical practice, um, you know, or a, even a, um, you know, internal medicine practice? You're, you're trying to get new patients into the system. If you don't get new patients, it kind of stale. It's like stagnant and it gets stale. Um, and so, you know, we're constantly looking for new patients. But by being able to adequately follow up on patients using telemedicine, either asynchronous or synchronous telemedicine, which we can talk about, you know, you can drive down, you know, a visit to a small brief picture, looking at that, making sure everybody is good and moving forward. Uh, and that helps to open up new patients. And those new patients drive significant revenue for your practice, whereas the established patients don't. And it's not all about, you know, revenue, but but to me, it's about taking good care of patients. But if we can do that and increase our patient load or increase free time, you're going to have happier people. And when you have happier people, they adopt technology that, that allows them to be happy. So I, I think, for a lot of reasons, it was good. Um, and those are kind of the ways that, that we saw it work for, for physicians. Now, I would think too, again, just, just working with a lot of provider groups over my years, the change in management tends to be a big barrier, right? Which you just talked about earlier. How do you get them on board? You know, they're, they're risk, risk averse by nature, right? I don't think anyone wants their doctor to be a cowboy, right? And just be a gunslinger and, you know, trying new technologies or new techniques right away. Uh, so you talked about that, but the second big thing that I would always hear from provider groups is like, well, it won't work for us. You know, we're in a rural community, you know, that's good for the, the big city folks. And even when I'm talking about like text messaging platforms, you know, they try to say, well, you know, people only text in this city, which, you know, we kind of know is not true, but you know, have you seen any data or do you have any experience with, does it work better in more rural communities? Is there less adoption, more adoption? Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, we actually had a few uh, rural orthopedic surgery groups, which really uh, love what we were doing. Um, and they, you know, these groups uh, would travel, like they'll, they'll, they'll sometimes use an airplane to travel to remote areas in the state to operate. Um, there's a couple of groups that I can think of right off the bat that uh, have adopted telemedicine and um, so it does work very well in rural communities because of the fact that, 
patients are coming from so far away. And as long as they have Wi-Fi connectivity, um, they can easily follow up. So now when they had to take a plane to follow up with, you know, 20 patients in Wyoming, uh, this group I'm thinking of, uh, you know, they didn't have to do that anymore. They could easily use telemedicine. If there was an urgent issue, they, they could arrange for, you know, travel for one patient. But instead of having the doctor, you know, take a flight uh, to go to this, you know, rural clinic, they were able to use telemedicine. So it was a big, big cost saver for them. We'll be right back after a quick word from me. Hey listeners, it's John Ellis here, and I wanted to take a few seconds to tell you about our presenting sponsor, ReferralMD, a fully cloud-based referral management solution. ReferralMD helps you manage your referral process like you never thought possible. In fact, ReferralMD clients reported an increase in referral conversion upwards of 25% since switching to the platform. But that's not all. Clients also increase operational efficiencies by 37% and reduce patient leakage by upwards of 65%. If any of those benefits sound good to you, and how could they not, we invite you to visit GetReferralMD.com forward slash offer to schedule your no-obligation tour of the ReferralMD software in action. Plus, as a thank you for being a listener to this podcast, you'll get 50%. That's 5-0 off your implementation fee. All you have to do to get that 50% savings is visit GetReferralMD.com forward slash offer and set up your product tour. And now, back to the show. Dr. Grawe, have you seen any instances where um, telemedicine is being used to refer to an ortho or to another practice to try to get a consult on a patient where they have to travel if not? Yeah, this is going to kind of blow people's minds right now. But actually, um, OrthoLive, uh, you know, is utilized sometimes by practices that don't have orthopedics in-house. So they're they're actually like utilizing us to, you know, triage injuries and then refer out to orthopedic surgeons as necessary. And, uh, you know, so that that referral process is happening right now. And again, you have to sort of adapt to new technology. Otherwise, you kind of get left behind. There are primary care doctor groups right now and pain management groups right now that want their patients seen immediately. And if someone can serve that need, um, they'll, they'll take that opportunity. So, um, yeah, it, it is happening right now. And, and um, I think, you know, it's, it's something that is, uh, you know, very kind of small subset of the population that's, hap- that's happening to right now. But it, but it is happening. So on that note, when you look at physicians or even practice leaders who might be looking to fill, like, you know, bring people back in now as they're opening clinics back up or fill them up, um, is this a sustainable model for them? Like, you know, maybe they can pick up a shift and see some patients after hours. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Is that a model for them? I think so. I think, I think we should have this more be a grassroots effort than sort of, you know, larger institutions. I would prefer, um, you know, all of our local physicians to be offering telemedicine in their local communities as a grassroots effort. I think that's the way it really should be because it builds trust amongst the um, local people in the community. Not everybody wants a doctor on a man or a teledoc to be seeing them when they could really be seeing their own physician group. I mean, that's what they would really prefer. They want this to be grassroots. The problem is, as you mentioned, it's that whole change factor, right? So this whole change management situation is holding back local groups and it's affecting this large scale change from the larger, you know, nationwide groups like Dr. Armand and Teledoc and MD Live and some of the others. 
they're getting to these patients because some of the local groups aren't moving fast enough. And so when you look at that, if we think post COVID, you know, if, if that ever comes, let's fast forward to 2033 and maybe we're past COVID at that point. What do you think? I mean, do you think people say like, okay, this was nice. It was nice in the moment, you know, or is the gene edible? We kind of talked about a little bit, but do, but do you see, are there opportunities to continue to expand this telemedicine, even as people kind of open everything back up? I do. I think we have to be, um, a little bit visionary. Our groups, um, you know, our local groups need to be more visionary in terms of what telemedicine can accomplish for them. Even if they start like a small telemedicine program that can allow them to access patients in their local community, it gives them the ability to grow over time. Uh, but if you don't start it at all, you're, you're allowing some of these larger groups to have access to your patients because you just can't serve their needs. Their, their needs are 11 PM at night when the baby's crying and, you know, um, somebody's got a, a runny nose or has some other problem, that's when people need telemedicine. And they, they will then, if they have a good experience, they're going to rely on that again. And so you, you don't want to lose these people. These are, these are your patients. They first started out as your patients, but you can quickly lose them if you're not providing the care that they want. Absolutely. And we talked a little bit about this before, but how can this telemedicine be adopted and, you know, or the live be adapted for, you know, combating some health issues or maybe even working with employers? Does it help? Have you, have you, you know, seen working with employer groups or are they bought into this too? Are they driving that change? Yeah. I mean, employers are value-based entities, mostly, you know, they are self-insured right now. They, they realize healthcare spend is a you know, very big problem for them. And what I'm seeing is they're the ones that are actually driving a lot of the change. The reason Teladoc and MD Live became so big uh, initially was because of these employer groups. They were trying to get access to um, cheaper healthcare at a quicker, you know, uh, in a quicker way inside their local businesses. And so that's how they grew so quickly. It wasn't because Aetna and Blue Cross Blue Shield and some of these other, you know, large insurers you know, adopted them. They have now, but it, initially it started with the employers because they recognize the value-based, you know, situation. So uh, it does give an opportunity for, you know, groups like Ortho Live to, to work on the musculoskeletal side. I think there are major opportunities for telemedicine vendors that are specialty-based. And, um, you know, what Ortho Live is trying to do is unite a lot of the orthopedic groups around the country to help, you know, provide services to, um, you know, payers. And so uh, that's a lot of the work that we're doing right now. But, you know, I think it's it's in, important for us to realize like how vital and important telemedicine is going to be in the future to um, patient access and patient demand. And on that note, do you think that that's the future of like work, workman's comp and, and putting that into benefits plans? Like especially any, you know, yeah. um, manual labor jobs, warehouse jobs, things like that, where I would imagine the injuries are a lot higher. I sure do. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see um, a reliance on telemedicine as the first line of defense and then understanding what the injury is, seeing if, you know, it can be solved using telemedicine. If it can't be solved and it needs in-person care, it'll go that route. But um, if we're not careful, we're going to have other entities come in and, and take that business. So I think we all need to be proactive about about this and and trying to make sure that we have the opportunity to work with those employers. How much time is I'm trying to think about that. How much time do they lose? Like do they do they, is that something that they track? Like how much time is lost per employee for these companies based upon injuries and things of that nature? Absolutely. Um, I can throw a stat at you right uh, quick. So for any strain or sprain, the average amount of time off 
for an employee is eight days. So oh, wow, it's a ton of money that they're losing based on the current system. You know, the current system is terribly broken. Uh, you have people that really aren't experts in musculoskeletal care taking care of these patients. I hate to say it, but you know that that's just the reality. And so you have these musculoskeletal injuries, and and you know provider training isn't such that they have a diagnosis right off the bat. They just call it a sprain or strain. And uh, then what happens is if they don't do well with physical therapy, prescriptions, bracing, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, they will then get kicked to the experts and that's three to six weeks later. And so then more piles up, you know, if they're not getting better. And sometimes just time helps these patients get better. But uh, ultimately, the, yeah, you know, there's a lot of time off involved with, with many of these, you know, lumps and bumps. And so can you think of, if we can distill that down, you know, how would something like OrthoLive help that employer, right? In, in that moment, can you give us an idea like a common use case? Yeah. So we will get a call from the safety manager about a patient that's injured and they may have been injured on in the warehouse. Maybe they're out and about, um, you know, driving a truck somewhere or side of the road, uh, who knows, but they've been injured. And so we get a call and our team will evaluate the injury identify and risk scale it. So we actually will grade whether or not that injury is a low risk injury or high risk injury. Based on that, we'll then decide whether or not we kick that to our tier two group, which is uh, made up of orthopedic surgeons. If it's uh, a significant problem, then we can order imaging. We'll start to get you know the ball rolling very quickly on understanding what exactly is the problem. If it's a more minor injury, then we start to do kind of symptomatic care where that patient will have you know over-the-counter anti-inflammatories and really focusing on just getting better from an injury, maybe stretching that's already been implemented, things like that. And uh, then we follow up with that person regularly to make sure that they're getting better. But, you know, it's that instant sort of uh, TLC that we give that I think sets us apart. And then obviously having the backup of the orthopedic surgery experts is, is important too. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, I think, again, when you look at it from that level, I think it's a huge impact. And right? Dr. Briley, you work shortages. You're not, I mean, this isn't something you've just started doing. You're working with, my understanding is some big national brands that are using this platform to, to reduce their, their spend on workplace injuries. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing how quickly uh, these larger brands just adopted telemedicine because of the, the um, way that it helps. I mean, we have, um, you know, Chewy.com, um, you know, Caterpillar, uh, Unilever, you know, some really large, large multi-billion dollar corporations that, you know, they, they're, they're, they're feeling it. They're feeling the healthcare pressure. Um, and, and, you know, smaller corporations too, they, they understand it's like when they work with us, it's like having an insurance policy. They just don't want the, you know, one, two, three injuries that might sneak out every year that become an OSHA recordable event or cost them $60,000 when it should have cost them $500. You know, those, those are the, that's the pain that they feel on a yearly basis. And I think everybody's looking for a solution because it is, you know, such a broken system. And it's not just about cost. It's also employee satisfaction and just a way to compete for those employees to keep them on the job at this point. Yeah, you said it. I mean, what's crazy is I always thought workman's comp uh, patients were uh, upset <laughs> all the time because that's what I'd see in my office. I'd see patients that were frustrated and, but wow, when you take care of them from the very beginning, they're awesome people. They, they just want to get better, you know? And they, you know, what I find is it's not that much malingering, which, you know, I always thought, oh, work comp, you know, there's a lot of malingerers out there. You got to be careful with work comp. 
it's really, I think they've been used up and spit out by the system and they're very, you know, unhappy because of what's happened over the past two to three months without any answers that gets them frustrated. And, you know, what doesn't get them frustrated and what makes them happy is getting attention right away, figuring out what's wrong and getting better, you know, just like a regular athlete on the sports field, they, they want to get better and get, get quickly back into things. And, and so do most people that get injured on the job. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. They just want to get back to work in many cases, right? And get back to normal and relieve that pain. So if you could offer one piece of advice or takeaway for our listeners here today, you know, what, what would that be? I think just adopting telemedicine is um, so important for the longevity of their practice. Whether it's, you know, in the next 10 years, in the next 20 years, I think adopting telemedicine is going to put, position them in the right place uh, for the future growth of healthcare. And I think um, telemedicine is going to be a very important piece to, again, kind of like getting that first access point to the patients. And you always want to own that first access point because from there, whoever owns the first access point can then direct care from there. So you got to be very, very careful about whoever is seeing that patient at the very beginning because ultimately they control the patient's destiny from there. And if we have any employers or any other groups or even orthopedic surgeons who are interested in learning more about OrthoLive, what's the best way for them to get information? Well, they can email us at info at ortholive.com or visit our website, www.ortholive.com. Awesome. This has been great. I think very informative. We really appreciate you, Dr. Gowie, coming on and explaining more about telemedicine, how it's impacting uh, really the entire world at this point. Yeah, Welcome great, soon. great information. Um, a lot of wheels are in motion. I think a lot of people listening are like, how can I get on board with this and how can I, I make changes in my practice? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's been a really a pleasure and um, hopefully everybody can kind of see what, what's happening. Awesome. Well, thanks again. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your attention today and uh, stay tuned for, for further episodes. See you next time. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Leadership Podcast presented by Referral MD. If there's anything you missed from today's episode, don't worry. We take the notes for you at GetReferralMD.com slash podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, please consider pressing the subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss a future episode. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review to help us reach even more of our peers in the healthcare space. This podcast is presented by ReferralMD, the nation's leading centralized referral management platform for healthcare providers. Find out how ReferralMD can help you manage your referral process, decrease patient leakage, and improve communication between providers and patients at GetReferralMD.com.